about the ninth conviction, my words must be in harmony with God's word, especially when reproving and restoring a Christian brother. I felt that the first part of that statement was so important that we needed to stop and again analyze that as a deep conviction in every home because that conviction is going to make the difference between success, spiritual success and defeat within a home. I read recently of a family who have taught themselves and their children that whenever something comes into their mind that they know is not consistent with the Word of God, to verbally speak out and say, that's not my thought, Satan. That's not my thought, Satan. And one day the mother corrected the child, the little girl. She was doing something wrong. She said, no, I don't want you to do that again. I want you to go in and get your room cleaned up and gave her a few instructions like that. And this little girl that must have been around three years of age was walking away, and she heard her little girl say, that's not my thought, Satan. Satan probably said, get mad, pout, and go in your room now and slam the door. And the little girl was quick enough to say, that's not my thought, Satan. This is a thing that we must continuously be on guard against, Satan coming and placing within our hearts and minds words that we will speak. The greatest victory, one of the greatest victories Satan can have over us, as I said last week, is to steal the word of God from the believer's heart and then to place a negative or to evoke a negative confession out of our mouth. Proverbs says that we are snared with the words of our mouth, we are taken with the words of our mouth, and that's why Jesus was so very careful when he spoke. He never said anything except the Father said it first. And the source for God's saints, the source for our word, should be based upon and consistent at all times with the word of God. Whenever we are speak that which is not consistent with the word of God, we're hypocritical. We are saying Jesus is Lord, that we have been redeemed, and it's Christ living his life out through us. And to speak negativism, to speak that which is out of harmony with God's word, becomes hypocritical. I believe it's more hypocritical to say something inconsistent with God's word than to say something as it looks like it is in our, to our physical eye. We can speak whatever God's word says because first uh, the, uh, the scripture says all scripture is God-breathed and profitable to us. It is God's perfect will because it's the truth and the truth will make us free. We may have to continue to confess the truth and confess the truth even when we don't see it, but if we'll confess the truth and walk it out by faith, it will become a reality. The best way you and I can please God, I said last week, was to say what he says. Find out what he says in his word and forget what it looks like around you and say that's what real truth is. Again, the book of Proverbs says, Whoso keepeth his mouth and his tongue keepeth his soul from trouble. If you and I go around making negative confessions, we're going to get into problems. We'll get what we confess sooner or later. Now, I've gone into that in detail before, so I won't say much more about that except to say if you confess something negative continuously, sooner or later you have opened the door for the enemy to be able to bring that into your life. And that's why we must confess what God says in his word, consistent with his word, because the scripture says, can two walk together except they agree? You've seen husbands and wives who fight and scrap and argue all the time, and it's more of an existence than it is a relationship. But how about those who profess to be born again of the Spirit of God, walking in a relationship with Jesus Christ, who continuously say the opposite of what the Word of God says, always denying what God has told them in love and in a covenant agreement with them. It's a very similar situation. 
And we said last week that there is one verse that we hear over and over again, but we don't see it happening in the lives of believers. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God. Now, if that be so, if that be, and it is so, it's God's word. All things work together for good. If that's true, what do we say in every circumstance of life? What do we say when obvious problems come to us, things that just seem insurmountable? Do we declare what God's Word say, says, or do we go on saying what we think? We started in last week by saying how many times have you heard Christians say, I just can't do this, I can't do that, I can't do the other thing. And the Word of God says, I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. Now, either the one is true or the other is true. If God has placed us uh, an ob um, um, obstacle in front of us, and we look at it, and in the natural it seems impossible, then we have not seen it in the, the light of God's Word. I read recently of a young man, a Christian young man, who had been out prospecting and asking the Lord for means of uh, some way of being able to find some minerals so that he could support the Lord's work in a greater measure than he ever dreamed possible. And lo and behold, he found some gold. And so he got a pick and an axe and started chopping away at the rock, trying to get to that vein of gold, and he, he sat down just exhausted with blisters all over his hands. He, he said, it's just impossible. There's no way I can do that. And he stopped and he said, whoa, no. Wait a minute. I asked God to show me something, and he has shown it to me. There must be a way. So he went back down to the city and went to the university and talked to one of the uh, professors there that was very much acquainted with uh, geology and so forth, and he said, what should I do? He said, well, I'll send a geologist out with you, and he'll look it over, and he'll tell you what to do. The geologist went out with him, and it took him several days to, to hike back to where this place was. And the geologist looked it all over and came back and said, well, you can do one of two things. You can either sell it off and get a good price for it, or you can establish a corporation who will, and raise the money to go ahead and mine it. Now, if you do it, that, if you do it the second way... It's going to be very, very difficult, but it will be possible, and there, there are literally millions of dollars worth of gold in that mountain. The other way, you can sell it off and have your money very quickly and easily, and uh, you won't get as much, of course, but if you'll stick with it and put it through, it is possible, and you can do it. The young man didn't know anything about corporations. He didn't know anything about but he said, if that's possible, then that's what I'm going to do, and he went back down to a university. He studied for months until he learned out how to start uh, setting up corporations and all the ins and outs of it began to find out exactly what had to be done as far as the stock was concerned. Then he went to his attorney, having a basic understanding. He established that corporation, went out, and today is a multimillionaire. Now, when he looked at it naturally, he just said, it's impossible. With my axe and my, my, my little pick here, I can't do it. And so many times, Christians say, well, I just can't do it. Maybe we haven't seen it as God would have us to see it. Maybe we haven't backed off and said, out of the counsel of many people, there's wisdom. And instruction. But if God has led us into a, a situation, a circumstance, then we must never say we can't do it because he wouldn't have put us there if we couldn't have done it. God's will will never put us where God's grace can't keep us. What situation is God leading you into? What circumstances is he bringing you into? Never allow your lips to say, I can't, if God's word says, I can. True. The next Thing. I hear Christians say all the time, well, just don't have enough, just, we're just not going to make it. I really have lack of this situation. I can't pay my bills. And, and Philippians 4.9, what does it say? 4.19, Philippians 4.19, my God shall supply all your need according to your timetable. 
That doesn't matter says, does it? <laughs> How many times people said, He didn't do it. I didn't get my knee. I said, It isn't ready yet. It isn't time. Yeah, my bill's past due. That isn't God's time, David. He's got something else to teach you first. My God shall supply all your need according to His riches and glory by Christ Jesus. His idea of our need and our idea of our need might change, but never let us say, My God will not has not, shall not supply my needs, because that's denying what the Word of God says, and let God be true, but every man be a liar. And I want you to know that I have found by experience, my God shall, my God has, my God is, and my God is going to supply all my needs according to His riches and glory by Christ Jesus, because I'm His and everything that I have is His. And I may not know how he's going to do it, or when he's going to do it, or what means he's going to use, but I can confess upon the authority of God's Word. If you know something, other books may get old, but this one never runs out of date. It says, my needs are supplied. Now, I don't know what your needs are that aren't being supplied, but my needs are supplied based upon this. Either this is wrong, or this isn't wrong. My needs are supplied. Now, I don't know the avenue that God will use to see these things come to fruition in my life. He may use people. He may use circumstances. But I know that I know that if I'm where God wants me to be and doing what God wants me to do, the promises of God are yea and amen. Now, if, if he has to, he'll have to perform a divine miracle. But my needs are supplied. Your needs are supplied if you believe it. You see, the only thing is, you simply open the door and give Satan an opportunity to operate in your life and to stop the blessings, the flow of God's blessings to you when you begin to confess the lie. My needs aren't here. I'm not going to make it. There's no possible way we can get through. Let me tell you, we have experienced over the years that it's impossible every month that God specializes in the impossible. I can't begin to describe to you the many, many miracles that God provides in our lives to where we just don't see how it's going to happen, but we know it is going to happen. We'll actually laugh and say, well, next week's that impossible week, and it's going to be exciting to watch God do what he's promised in his word, because we know we're going to make it. You know, after I have walked now with the Lord for 30 years, by the 13th of next month, 30 years ago, I invited Jesus Christ in my life. I can declare to you that I have never seen God fail in my life. He has never failed to fulfill his word in my life. And if I began to elaborate all the examples of where God has miraculously provided for my needs, we could be here all day and all night up till the picnic. And each time, I've almost got it spotted how he's going to do it, and he always does it some other way. My thoughts are above your thoughts, and my ways are above your ways, saith the Lord. And I'm glad that I can go by his ways instead of my ways, because he is above it, and he can see the end from the beginning, and I'm walking into the circumstances, and I can't see what's over the next hill. If I could have seen over the next hill, I never would have Leroy, let Leroy go on the lake. You know, see? But I couldn't see the end from the beginning. Here they came, two or three of them hauling that big hog up on the shore. See, I, I can't see the end from the beginning. That thinks I've been feeding it for about nine years, getting it ready to catch, and then that kid comes and catches it. I tell you, praise God. How many times have you heard people confess their weakness? I just can't do that. I just don't have the strength to do that. I, I'm just not strong enough to handle it. 
uh, if this ever happens again, I just won't be, I'm just going to go under. This will do it. This will do it for sure. I, I'm, I'm just going to go under this next time. And the word of God says, the Lord, Psalm 27, 1, the Lord is the strength of my life. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? And you know, once in a while, God will just give you a rhema. Again, that rhema means when the a portion of the scripture will jump right out and get right down in your spirit and say, that's for you. Now, I, I'm talking about one that is consistent with the whole of scripture. I'm not talking about the rhema where the fellow saw this, flipped his Bible open, found the verse that Judas went out and hanged himself, and he closed it, I don't want that one, and he flipped it open again and said, go, out, go and do thou likewise. You've got two rhemas, you see, not that kind of a rhema, but when you find something that is consistent with God's word and it speaks to you, it'll begin to do something in your life when you say, God, give me this promise. When we were in Bible college, we went through a real struggle because there were those who didn't think that Beverly should go with me. She had come from such a pure background, such a clean, wonderful, wholesome background of a preacher's home. How many of you know that that's always the case in a preacher's home? But anyway... She came to school at the age of 17, and I wanted to get her young enough so I could bring her up the way I wanted her. And they knew that my background was not a Christian background, and I had a pretty hard, strong reputation at the school already. So when they saw her starting to go with me, they got very excited. The head of the music department, the president of the school, and all these good ones. And it wasn't long before her mother and father heard about it and sent a letter to Beverly talking, warning her about going out with these older, more experienced men. Beverly and I knew, I knew that I knew that I knew. I told you that the first time I saw her, I knew I was going to marry her. The Lord told me that. And it wasn't long after we dated that the Lord told her that was so also. And so when all these different things were coming to us, when the president would call her in and talk to her for two hours, and the head of the music department would call her in and talk to her for three hours, and all these things, we just claimed Psalm 37. And he shall bring forth thy righteousness as the light, and thy judgment as the noonday. Rest in the Lord. Wait patiently for him. Now, God gave me that verse. I could have, you know, stuck out at them and swung at them and started coming back at them saying, look, mind your own business, get off our backs, we're doing what... But God just says, rest in the Lord, wait patiently for him. He shall bring forth thy righteousness as the light and thy judgment as the noonday. That became a rhema to me to where later on, years later, when our, uh, we were married and Jody was already born and we were down here in Florida, we visited the home of the former music director of the college and and he got down on his hands and knees and played with Jody and in his own inimitable way was saying to us, I was wrong. But we could stand in that situation because God gave us a rhema. God gave us a resting place. He shall bring forth thy righteousness as the light and thy judgment as the noonday. Rest in the Lord. And we could rest in the Lord. Now, if you'll search God, seek out God's face and search the word, God in a, in a hard situation will give you a rhema. He'll give you a verse. I remember that uh, Mrs. Don Gossett, Don Gossett has written several books, but in one of the books he was telling of the fact that when his child, or first child was born, there had been a calcium deficiency, and she had club feet, and how God healed that situation, but then later on, because of that deficiency, his wife had been uh, brought down low physically, and uh, before long they found out she had rheumatic fever, a very extreme case of it. And they would pray and pray and pray, and nothing seemed to happen. And before long, she started swelling up, and, and the doctor just told him that you might as well prepare for, prepare for it. She's not going to make it through. 
And he said, as she would lay there in excruciating pain from the top of her head to the bottom of her feet, she would sit there and read the scriptures to him. He said, it just seemed like I was reading pages, and nothing seemed to be different until I came to Psalm 27. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? The Lord is the strength. The Lord is the strength of my life. He said, "Honey, this is it. God just spoke to me, and He said that you're to confess the Lord is the strength of my life." And here she was, gasping in agony and pain, her body swollen from the top of her head to the bottom of her feet. And as she lay there, she began to confess, "The Lord is the strength of my life. The Lord is the." He said she struggled with tears in her eyes as she kept saying it before long. She started trying to turn on her side, all swollen, and she slipped her feet off the side of the bed and put them on the floor and pushed herself upright. Dizzy, weak, faint. She kept saying, the Lord is the strength of my life. And she reached for him and he took her hand and she began to pull herself up on her feet. And he said her swollen limbs, you could see the, the, the blood vessels in her legs and it just just a terrible condition, but she stood to her feet and she kept saying, the Lord is the strength of my life. And she says, walk with me. And he's honey, should you be walking? She says, the Lord is the strength of my life. And she started walking back and forth. And Don Gossett said, it wasn't long before as I watched my wife, I saw the swelling begin to go down in her body. It wasn't long before I saw her able to take a deeper breath. It wasn't long before that day was over, my wife was healed by the word of God. Because the Lord was the strength of her life. God gave her rhema and she believed it. She could have laid there in bed having stripped the red girl the rest of the day and died had she not been able to reach out by faith and grasp the word and it became a rhema, a life to her. I'm weak, I can't, but the Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? She went on to minister because all things are possible to him that believes. If ever you see an impossible situation, will you do something the next time when you think it's impossible, just put an H before it. Just write the letter H in front of impossible. And suddenly one letter makes the difference. Him possible. In him, the Lord is the strength of my life. In him, all things are possible. And I'm in him. Glory to God, I wish I had a Pentecostal or somebody around here to say amen once in a while. Daniel 11.32 tells me, The people that know their God shall be strong and do exploit. Daniel 11.32, The people that know their God shall be strong and do exploit. I'm not weak. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. That's the promise of God's Word. Now, either that's true, or we're in trouble. I know it's true. You said, but Brother Webb, you're not in the midst. You're not under the pressures I'm under. Get out from under them. If you knew the circumstances I'm under, get out from under them. Confess the word of God. The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Though the enemy comes in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord will raise up a standard against the enemy because the Lord is the strength of my life. I'll not confess defeat. He's my victory. I heard people say, Satan has just got me this time. He's just too strong. I can't fight anymore. He's really... The circumstances around me right now are just such that, that, that he's just won. I mean, he, he's really turned loose on me. I read Wynn Worley's book recently, and well, he has three of them. I've been reading these three books. And in one of them, he said, you will never 
be able to understand until you've gone through it the attack of the enemy like our family experienced when we got into the deliverance ministry like we did. He literally had apparitions. He had spirits appear at his bedside in the middle of the night and talk to him. He actually had what he believed to be a, 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 the spirit of Satan himself come to his bedside and sit down in the chair and offer him great wealth and power and understanding if he would quit that ministry of deliverance and talk to him. Until he finally had to tell him, be gone in the name of Jesus. But he said he's had several occasions where that's happened. He's driven down the road, and as he was driving his car, the wheel would try to turn and go into an abutment. And he'd have to say the name of Jesus to get released from that thing. But he said, I have found out that there's power in the name of Jesus. And Satan is not going to be too strong for me because the Word declares. Now here it is again. Don't agree with Satan, agree with the Word. Satan is not too strong. He's powerful, but he's not all-powerful. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Now the prince of the power of the air is whom? Okay, the God of this world is... But he's not all-powerful, is he? Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Now, the next time the enemy comes to you and says, Satan's got you this time. You might well learn from that little three-year-old girl. Well, that's not my thought, Satan. Not my thought. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. I have victory because I am more than conqueror through him that loved me. I am not defeated. I refuse to be defeated in the name of Jesus because the Scripture says in 2 Corinthians 2.14, and I just see everybody writing these verses down for victory, 2 Corinthians 2.14 tells me, God always causes me to triumph in Jesus Christ. How many times? Oh. <laughs> then I'm never defeated, am I? Where is my victory? In Jesus Christ. If I'm in him, and he's in me, and he is my life, and he is my strength, then I can't be defeated. He said, Brother Webb, I am being defeated. You know why? By the words of your mouth, you're snared. You don't watch your mouth. You don't watch your tongue. You say, let's get into reality. I'm in reality. I'm in the Word of God. You get into reality. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, Oh, Nebuchadnezzar. We're not going to bow down to your idol. Because we know that if God wants to deliver us from that furnace that you're heating up over there, he can do that. But just for the record, if he doesn't deliver us, we're still not going to bow down to your idol. We don't have to, you see. We don't fear death. They had a fireproof religion. They came out of that thing without even having the smell of smoke on them. Now, have you ever had anybody ready to cast you into an oven yet? Daniel, if you don't quit praying... We're going to throw you to the pussy caps. They're going to eat you up. Well, I don't have any choice in that matter. You see, my God is first in my life, and nobody's going to change my attitude in that situation. He told me if I'd pray, he would bless me. Now, if the blessing is going to be becoming meow food for the cats, that's up to him. But God says to me to be obedient and to worship and to praise him, and he'll take care of all the other circumstances. No, I'm not going to quit. All right, here you go. Kitties, and they dropped him down the hole. And God gave him luck, y'all, and he laid his head on the mane of that big old male lion until the next morning when the king came and pulled him out. And they hadn't fed him before. They were just starving. Those, those lions were starving in that pit. 
but they tried a different time. Meow wasn't what they liked, so they took nine lives, or all the other men that had made him have it, going to that pit, and they threw them in there, and the scripture says, before they ever hit the bottom of the pit, the lions jumped in the air and tore them to shreds before they ever hit the bottom. Then you could have written a book on Christian victory, couldn't you? When God gave the cat lockjaw. You want to know why the cats had lockjaw? Because Daniel knew that his God would protect him. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego knew and believed and trusted God. They weren't defeated even when their hands were bound and their feet were bound and they were being thrown into the furnace. I don't think they did it, but you know, if they really were living in faith and knew the course, they were probably singing, keep me burning till the break of day. All I know is that King Nebuchadnezzar couldn't get over the faith that they had. And this world is still looking for men and women of faith that will believe God for these things. There are quite a few things, y'all. I'm going to try at least one more. And that is, how many times Christians have said, I'm so dumb. I'm so stupid. Yeah, I, God can't use me. I just, I, I'm really not very smart at all. You know, God only uses people with college degrees and Bible college degrees and that those that have been ordained. You say, God, I'm just so dumb. You believe that, you are dumb. Because, you see, you have evidence of the contrary right here. If God can use me, he can use anything. I mean that seriously. The word of God tells me Jesus Christ is made unto me, what? Wisdom. Now, you know, it's not hard for most Baptists to believe that Jesus Christ is made unto me righteousness. I mean, I am righteous in Jesus Christ. I mean, he has taken away all my sins, and, and boy, I, I mean, I am secure forever. Baptists have no trouble believing that, but so many times they'll go around degrading and putting themselves down, saying, I'm so dumb, I'm so stupid, God couldn't possibly use me. Well, why can't we stand on that same verse that says, Jesus Christ has made unto me wisdom. If Jesus Christ has made unto me wisdom, and I seek from him wisdom and understanding, can I believe that he will give me wisdom in everything? I didn't say knowledge. Knowledge is the accumulation of facts. I have seen educated idiots. Wisdom is the ability to apply information and knowledge to daily, everyday circumstances. Everybody was reading an article the other day that Henry Ford and... Some of these other men today couldn't have gotten a job if they wanted it in today's market. They didn't have an education. Total failure because they didn't have an education. It was interesting that it was said of the disciples that they could tell they had been with Jesus. These unlearned men suddenly had profound wisdom and understanding. I believe with all my heart that the, the, the weakest saint on his knees before God can have more insight into the truth of life than the best educated university professor on his tiptoes. Did you hear me? The weakest Christian on his knees seeking wisdom from God will have more insight to the daily problems of life than the best universe, the best trained university professor on his tiptoes. Because the one has knowledge, the other one has wisdom. And Jesus Christ has made unto you and me wisdom. Don't say, I can't teach, I can't witness. I can't do this. I can't do that. So I can do anything that Jesus Christ would have me to do as a believer. He says I'm supposed to be a witness. If I'm not witnessing, then I need to begin to ask him for wisdom and understanding, begin to search the scriptures, begin to read information on how to know how to properly approach individuals 
and share with them the gospel of Jesus Christ in an appropriate way. If you're dumb here today, it's because you've been snared with the words of your mouth. Someone has told you that you can't be smart because you didn't go past the sixth or seventh grade. Some of the wisest people I've ever seen have been uneducated people as far as book knowledge is concerned. I'm less impressed more and more every day with book learning. I'm finding more and more it's the people who are sensitive to the Spirit of God that God is going to use. I am not putting down education. I think it's wonderful to get an education. But when that, when you begin to depend on that education, you're in trouble. Begin to depend on the fact that Jesus Christ has made unto you wisdom. He'll give you more common sense. What was it they said of Jesus when he was a child? They were astounded at the, at the wisdom that he had as a child. He perceived things that even the teachers couldn't perceive. Now, if that Christ...